Brilliant. Well, this morning we start a new series in 1 John. And I'm really excited about this series. And one of the, the reasons I'm really excited about this series is because we live in a world of mixed messages. Certainty about anything so often seems out of reach. And I think it's extremely important for us as Christians to do two things in response. Number one is be extremely clear with what the Bible says and why we believe what the Bible says. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. Actually, we should be giving people room to doubt. In an age of uncertainty, we need to create an environment here in the church in which we both proclaim the truth as it's clearly revealed in God's word, but also at the same time be patient, loving, and honest with our own doubts and the doubts of others. I never want someone to be in a position in this church where they feel like they're unable in any context context to share their doubts. So today we begin this new series and we've called it Life, Light and Love. After its main themes, it's a kind of what it says in the tin type title. Because my prayer for us in this season is simple. That we discover God's words, in God's words, more of the life we are made for. The light that shows us the way and the love that can satisfy us like no other love. So we're in chapter 1 today, and uh, in verses 1 through 4, John takes us back to the beginning. John likes to do that. You probably remember from his gospel he did that as well. He takes us back to the beginning. But this is the word of new beginnings. And then verses 5 through 10, he helps us to understand how vital and glorious it is to have the word of radiant light to shine on us. So let me read from 1 John, and we're going to read the whole of the chapter, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the ESV. Don't worry if you have an NIV in front of you. That's totally fine. Um, But I'm reading from the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus is is His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have come, the word of life, the light of the world. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would know in our hearts the light that has shined in, that has revealed your glory, that has shown us the forgiveness of sin through the cross. And so Lord, now would you come, would you speak with us, would you help us, Lord, to be a people who respond to you, the great new beginning, the one of the new dawns, the one who has shone his light into a dark world and not the other way around. Help us, Lord, not to drift off into darkness, but to know and be certain that the light of God shines upon us. And may that change our lives in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. John says, I am, verse 4, writing these things so our joy may be complete. So what is the source of that joy? Why is it he is writing about that? This thing, this, what is this thing that can change him and the other apostles so much that it will complete their joy? Well, later in chapter 5, verse 13, he clarifies. So we'll come to this later, but he clarifies. We're just going to go there now to, to see what he says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote the gospel primarily to unbelievers to tell them of God's love for them, displayed in Jesus, and to call them to trust in the name of Jesus. It's written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he says. But he writes his letter to these churches around Ephesus to help believers to be strengthened, people who have already put their trust in Jesus, to give them strength to give them confidence and assurance that what they heard about Jesus when they first believed was true. That when temptation comes, that when teaching of all different kinds comes, you can trust that what you heard at first was true. John is determined to help them to be sure and confident that they belong to God and his church. In verse 1, he begins, the word of life. The word of life has come into the world. And it should remind us of John's gospel, chapter 1, and Genesis 1. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word is God. What John declared in his gospel is that it all began with God and Jesus is God and then Jesus has come as God to rescue us. And that sets up the rest of the gospel. The whole gospel is, is bursting forth from that moment. It's an, it's an overflow of what he says in the first chapter. And it, he basically explains that through the life of Jesus. He shows us through the life of Jesus how that is true. He shows us that actually if we put our, our faith in him, if we believe in him, then we will receive eternal life. And actually that is why John's focus 
in, than in John 1 isn't primarily to say the same things, but it's to remind them of some of those things and then bounce off that and show them why they can be sure that they really have received this inheritance, this eternal life, and they've had this new beginning. So actually the beginning that one John is talking that John is talking about in one John is not the beginning of the world. This time he's talking about new beginnings, the beginning for you, the beginning of your journey of faith, the beginning of your relationship with Jesus, the beginning of your fellowship with God, as he calls it in a minute. I was on the rugby bus last night, coming down the road from Aberdeen. We scored 47 points and we still lost. But the boys weren't going to let that get in the way of a good bus trip. And um, it didn't take long before things were a bit wild. You don't want to know what goes on. But inevitably, a few refreshments down, I end up, not for me, for the boys, just to clarify, I end up in a conversation with the boys about religion. So, uh, you're a priest. Uh, well, yes and no. We're all priests if we believe in Jesus these days, but uh, that's for later on. And then we get, we get into a big conversation, and um, one of the boys uh, starts talking about how he believes in God, but he thinks science has kind of disproved the Bible, and so uh, he can't really be sure. So he's got some sort of vague faith in God, but he's not sure. I found it fascinating, good, good conversation. And I told him what I believed. And then another guy pipes up and says, nah, that's rubbish. Gives this atheistic point of view. But actually what happens is that both of them agree, and the other guys around them nodding their heads, that the real truth here, the real thing that's important is that everyone walks away believing that really you can find your own way of being good. You can find your own approval in life. You, you can find your own way of journeying through life in a way that makes a positive impact in people around you. And even though they might not be able to articulate it, what they are really saying is this. I don't need a perfect and sinless substitute to die in my place. I'm fine. Just as I am. Thank you very much. I can be a good person without God. There are some confusing things that are going on in the lives of the churches or the people in the local churches around Ephesus at the time that John writes. And it's most likely that John's writing from Ephesus to those churches around that area. A group of people who are part of the church were claiming that they had a special anointing from God to teach that sin isn't a problem and that Jesus wasn't God come to earth as a human being to die in our place? They claimed there was no need for that kind of saviour. Sin just wasn't an issue. We're born good and we're essentially good. So why on earth do we need saved? You cannot move for that opinion being preached in our culture today. In Glasgow... The message for those who are hurting, broken, filled with grief, burdened, filled with anxiety, have low self-esteem, is this. You 
are enough. Just believe you are enough. The solution is in you. If I was to scroll through Facebook or Instagram this morning, I could guarantee that I would see lots of messages that say exactly that type of thing. You are enough. Believe in yourself. You're beautiful just the way you are. Now these are messages that are meant in kind. They're supposed to encourage. They're not malicious, but they're also not helpful. Because we need to be real and say that these core beliefs of our society do and can affect the church. They can cause us to make less of what Jesus has done on our behalf and less of what we have in Christ. Less of our new identity, less of who God is, much less of the importance of dealing with sin. And we even see signs in the wider church that people are walking away from what we might call substitutionary atonement. The idea that Jesus had to come and die as God-man in our place so that our sin could be atoned for us, that he might receive the punishment that we deserved on the cross and exchange it for his righteousness. But that's at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and not believe that. It's no longer Christianity, but it's often preached in the name of Christianity. Confusion came to these churches around Ephesus because a group of people who claim to be Christian but are teaching things that are not Christian. They're bringing a very different teaching of the apostles, the people who Jesus had sent with this message for the world. And in this post-resurrection and spirit-given clarity, they faithfully preach and teach the good news about Jesus. But then they disappear for a while and they leave the churches as they are. And they hope that the leadership's going to be able to take things on and go in the right direction. But then there are others who come in with different messages and confuse them. This wasn't just about wanting to be right about something or to have bragging rights. And I think sometimes we can approach problems like this in our society and say, oh, that's just, that's just religious chatter. That's just pride. And now I know that it can spill over into that. But actually, what is at the heart of this is what it means to be a Christian. What is at the heart of this is what it means to know God. And the heart of this is understanding who God is and who we are at the heart of this is whether or not we have eternal life. Every time you read the one who says or they who say or all who say in 1 John, he's talking about these people who are sharing this different message to the true message of Christianity. And John's response to the confusion creeping in begins by going back to the source of this new beginning, Jesus. He claims... I can assure you that this has appeared because, it's essentially what he's saying in the first few verses, I saw him with my own eyes. I witnessed his miracles. I saw his constant love, his prayer life, his gentleness, his authority in the temple. I saw him, my friend, beaten, pierced and hung on a cross. 
I saw him die. I saw him raised. I saw him. And your faith is as real now, today, as seeing him with your eyes. I heard him with my ears. All those sermons he preached. The many conversations around the dinner table. The heated discussion with the religious elites. The caring and healing words to the broken. I heard him and your faith is as real as hearing his voice. And I touched him. I hugged him. He wiped away my tears. He washed my dirty feet. And I touched his scars. I touched him. And your faith is as real as it is to touch The whole of the New Testament is almost exclusively given to who Jesus is and how he changes everything for everyone. John and the other apostles, they uh, might have been those who lived with Jesus, stayed with Jesus, ate with Jesus, walked alongside Jesus. But John isn't trying to make them some kind of elite group. The whole point of this is that you too can have fellowship with God. Because of what Jesus has done. But how can this be? How can we be truly joined to Jesus? How can we be truly joined to God in fellowship? Doesn't God dwell in unapproachable light? And don't we dwell in the dark? Huh. Maybe these false teachers have a point. Maybe we just need to pretend, like most people in Glasgow have pretended, that we're just fine without a saviour. Just fine without God coming down and becoming flesh to unite us to God by receiving the punishment for sin that we deserved on the cross. Maybe we aren't really sinners and don't really need God. Maybe we don't need a new beginning to be born again. Let's look beyond the introduction. And to verse 5. So you've got your Bible. Look down to verse 5. John begins again this message that he has with, unsurprisingly, Jesus. And now what we see is that with the word and light in glorious tandem, the message of reconciliation to God is made clear. God is light and he cannot help but shine out. It is in his very nature, unchangeable, glorious light. That is who God is. He spoke life into that darkness. Before there was any light, when it was just primordial darkness, God spoke uttered word what happened light there was light and now this new beginning through the word Jesus the one through whom all things were created has come proclaiming to us light new life where the world was dark and broken a great light has come here is a new dawn It's why the the angels announcing his birth 
His coming in human flesh were radiant with glorious light because he'd come from light into darkness. Hebrews describes Jesus as the radiance or the light of God's glory. And as Hebrews says, he's the exact representation of his being. We are joined to Jesus through this message of the apostles that we have written down for us, this gospel. And in being joined to Jesus, we are joined to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This glorious mystery, this perfect community. We are one with God, God in three persons, one God. We are joined with him through Christ. And in the last days, there will not even be any need for the Son. Why? Because Jesus is so glorious, so radiant in light. His light shines out. The glory of the Lord shines out. God is light. But until Jesus shined into the darkness, as John says in his gospel, the the light was unapproachable. God is pure, unadulterated light. His way is not like our way. Think back to the Mount, to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive the tablets, to receive the commandments of God. We were like the Israelites at the foot of the mountain who saw the glory of the Lord from a distance. But it was unapproachable. If we'd gone near it, we would have died. And the reality is, beneath it, in a place of darkness and distant from his unapproachable light, dead in our sin, we did what the Israelites did. Created our own gods. We have been so disobedient, filthy in sin. And his unapproachable light It's just so distant from us, so far away. There is no way in which we can enter into it. Geneva's city motto at the beginning of the 16th century, before the Reformation, was this. After darkness, I hope for light. Mike Reeves makes the point, this brilliant preacher makes the point, That actually all of us, before we knew Jesus, were in that place. The best thing we could do was hope for light. Hope for something better after death. Hope that the world might improve. Hope that there might be eternal life despite us. But then, after the Reformation, they changed that motto to, after darkness, light. We don't need to hope for light anymore because Jesus is the light and he shone into the world and he has shared with us his glorious light because God is light and he can't help but have his radiant light dawn upon us, rise upon us. The wonder and the glory that God has become flesh and has found a way in which we can be basking in the glory of God. We should be 
We should be so far, so distant. It should be totally unapproachable. But no, God, out of his great love for us, came and died in our place, becoming flesh for us, our great representative on the cross. And every sin we've ever sinned, he received a punishment upon that cross. It says here in this passage that it was his blood that did it. He was pierced for our transgressions. His blood flowed for us. And in doing that, God, who is light, took us out of the darkness. And there's, some, there's not one part of us that has not been. If you have accepted Jesus into your life, if you trusted him, if you said, I believe, there's not one part of you that doesn't now dwell in his glorious light. The seriousness of our sin that has drawn us away from the light, from true enlightenment. Sin deceives. It has deceived us. And it's made us fumble around in the darkness, looking for truth in the pitch black. But it was the light of God that brought life. Before he spoke, all was formless, empty, and dark. But the sin that prevailed on the earth that meant we walked away from the light of life and were fumbling around in the darkness, it's gone. It's been defeated. You don't have to look too far to see that darkness is still upon the earth, but it's gone from your life. If you've put your trust in Jesus, he has broken in with his glorious light. A big view of God requires us to see the seriousness of our sin. I know that's unpopular preaching. We're not going to get loads of likes on Instagram for saying something like that. But let me be extraordinarily clear with you. Our culture is consistently preaching much about us and very little about God. It makes very little of sin and it wants you to believe that you're just fine without Jesus. No. Only Jesus could become flesh as the light to unite us, humanity in its flesh, by being the light. And in verse 9, it is the blood of Jesus, his son, who purifies us from all sin. A very religious man named Saul, who even called himself a Jew of all Jews, was walking down a road towards Damascus. And on the way, he was blinded by the glory of Jesus. He was working hard for his own salvation, just like the church had been before that Reformation moment. Geneva, before they changed the motto. But then he was blinded by the glory of Jesus. And then he was taken into the care of God, into the light of God. And now, we know that although we fell short of the glory of God, he has come near and we can bask in his light. Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That is us. We have seen a great light. Praise God that his glorious light has shined on us in Christ. 
Once we were banished from the light, and now the darkness is banished from us as God's glorious light breaks into our lives and the darkness can escape. His blazing light has warmed every part of your cold heart. It has brought a new dawn. Even those dark, shadowy bits that you thought you could never share, even those bits that you feel like you still can't even utter to God, confess that. Confess it and be free because his glorious light is shining into your life. There is nothing you can do There's nothing you have done that cannot be banished by the glorious light of Jesus. Last week, Lewis had a really helpful picture of this very thing. If you were here last week, you'll have heard it. Lewis just got up at the end of the meeting and he shared and he said, some of us are are like hiding underneath a duvet first thing in the morning. And it's like, you know, you're about to go to school and you really don't want to go. You just want to hide, you want to cover your eyes. And what happens? Well, your mom or your dad or whoever's looking after you comes in and they switch on the light. And, and you go, ah! And you, you want to hide from the light. You want to run away. You want to just be in the, in the darkness because that's where it's comfortable and, and that's where you just want to, want to be. But actually what's good for you is that you take the doofy, doofy away. Stop hiding in the darkness. And allow yourself to be in the light. For everything to be illuminated by that light. For your eyes to adjust. And to see the world through that light. The light of Jesus. John Piper puts it this way. The light of Jesus illumines. Great American use of that word. Everything with its proper beauty. Without the light of Jesus in our hearts. Enabling us to see the world that was made for the light. We can't see the world the way it is in God's eyes. Everything is dark. This world was made to be illumined by this light. The light of Christ is native to the world, not foreign. You see what's happening here? Back to the beginning. The new beginning is bringing us back to the way we were made. To bask in the glorious light of God. And now Paul says in Ephesians 5, everything that is illuminated becomes a light and the light shines out of us. When you know God, when you're walking in God's light, the light shines out of you. I wonder, are some of us being deceived? Maybe you haven't wholly adopted false teaching, but actually there's a mix of beliefs in your heart. I think we need to be honest about that. There's room for doubt here. There's, there's room for honesty. We must be honest before God and one another. But let me also be really clear. Jesus is the light of the world and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus has shone his great light on you. My prayer for you now is that you would leave here Basking in the glory of the light of God because you know Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is here, by the way, who is speaking to you, 
you can bask. So if there's a part of you that, that is hiding, if there's a part of you that is running to the darkness, if there's a part of you that is confused, can I just encourage you, let it bear before his light. And he will burst in and give you joy and hope. A hope that is assured and certain. Begin with Jesus and he will speak, lighting up the world around you. He will make sense of its confusion into a new dawn. Begin with the world around you and you will end up being led further into the black, further into the confusion and darkness and blinded by truth. Uh, blinded away from the truth. He is the light, the word of life, who has appeared. Trust him and his voice, not all the voices making noise around you. Let his voice light up your path. We're going to sing this in a moment. I've asked the band to sing this. So I just think the words are gloriously true, and I'd love us to just build them out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord Jesus, you are wonderful. Thank you that you have come. Forgive us, Lord, when we make light of sin and we we make light. We make less of you. And forgive us, Lord, when we don't look to you and your great light. That light that we need for every moment of our lives. Forgive us when we go to hide in the darkness. Help us to know and believe the truth that Jesus, you are the light of the world and you have burst into our hearts. And you have now made us lights so that we can light up the world around us. Fill us, I pray, with the Holy Spirit this morning as we worship you. Fill us afresh with your Spirit. Help us to see more of the face of the wonder of our King Jesus as we worship you with all our hearts. In your name.